Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 104 of Three Point Podcast. Our triad, as always, includes the young fella, Jared Fattel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our middleman is Matt Burns of ESPN in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm the seasoned one. Ted Fattel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 The Castle. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Shared and Auction Service, The Corona Public Schools, Promec Engineering, and our syndication teammates, Sports Radio Detroit. Make sure you give us a follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcast hosting sites. And boys, that's very important right there, isn't it? We need the follows. We need you to share the news with all your friends. The more uh, listeners we have, the better chances we are to uh, make this show even bigger and better, right? Exactly. That's what it's all about. We love your comments and questions on social media at 3 Point Pod and we should have another one, another fun one for you as the Super Bowl 54 is set. And again, no Lions. Hashtag since 57. Seriously, the 49ers versus the Chiefs in Miami. It really should be a good one. We'll also talk a little hoops maybe. Well, we'll also get into some baseball, which had some big news last week for the wrong reasons. And we'll also have a quick edition of Tedertainment tonight, a couple of documentary reviews, and I believe Jack Strap also will be checking in with us. We'll get it all rolling right after this short break. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your larger, small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. All right, fellas, uh, finally the NFL is down to two teams, and I think most people out there, there might be a little debate, but I think most people think the two best teams in the NFL are going to tee it up for the Super Bowl. You guys agree with that? I think so. I mean, it would have been cool if, you know, like the whole Cinderella story, Titans, if they would have been able to make it. But I, I think most people thought that the Chiefs were the best team in the AFC all year. So them kind of putting a whooping on the Titans, it's kind of not a surprise, I think, to most people, right? Yeah, and I mean, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, how good is this guy? And I mean, how solid are they set for the next 10 years or so at that position, especially if he stays healthy? He's phenomenal. Yeah, it would appear so. Uh, before we, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes has been awesome, but my main takeaway has been Andy Reid. Because when he was fired as the Eagles coach, I honestly remember thinking that he was the biggest idiot in the world and wasn't a good coach. Because if you remember, Chip Kelly came in and basically laughed about how they had fast food Fridays and the entire facility was filled with junk food. And I, I remember thinking it was crazy that he was hired by the Chiefs. And I've been wrong basically ever since I thought that. And I said that to my buddies at the lunch table, which is what I would have been probably freshman year of high school. 
Yeah, I mean, he, he's had him knocking on the door, and I mean, really, the difference is, obviously, he's done a good job coaching, but uh, it starts with the quarterback. I mean, the Chiefs, awesome guy there to run the show, and uh, pretty tough defense, too. Yeah, their defense is playing well, and that's the thing. I, I just saw a stat right when we started recording that they're holding opposing running backs to 3.8 yards per carry, but like coming in their rush defense was one of the one of the worst in the NFL anyway. So that's why people thought that the Titans were going to be able to roll over them with Derrick Henry and how he was running the first couple rounds of the playoffs. But the Chiefs defense has actually stepped up, like you said. And when you have Mahomes and all those weapons that he has, they're tough to beat. And, you know, it's what we, when we talked about the what we think the Lions should do this offseason with the draft and everything, uh, one thing that I think they should do is build up that offensive line and try and establish like a, just a strong in the trenches type of uh, game plan. And that the Titans is kind of what makes me think that that kind of style works because when you have a obviously the the Lions don't have a running back like Derrick Henry, so that that's one thing. But when you have a strong offensive line like the Niners do, like the Titans do. You can you can establish a ground game and then build the pass off of that. The problem was Ryan Tannehill wasn't going to win a shootout with Patrick Mahomes, but you would think Matthew Stafford would be able to, right? So if you establish that offensive line like the Titans have, and then if you have to get in a shootout with a team like the Chiefs, that's where I think the Lions could come in. But that's a complete other conversation, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you and I uh, disagree a little bit. I think it's very important that you have a strong offensive line. And, you know, I don't know if you gear it up for the running game because, frankly, the Titans do have Henry and the Lions don't. If you got just an offensive line that can pass protect, I think they're adequate enough offensively as long as we're sticking with Stafford. But my viewpoint has, has always been, you know, if you put together a strong defensive line, especially pass rushers from the outside, kind of like what uh, Frisco has going, uh, you can make that secondary look awful good if you're putting pressure on the quarterback and making it uncomfortable for him. Yeah, I agree. I, I will say this, though. I mean, I would be very angry if the Lions did end up drafting a lineman with the number three pick. And I know it's possible they could trade back and draft more linemen, but I feel like we've kind of been doing that for what seems like the last like ten years. And I know it's I know we have it. I know we draft Hawkinson last year, but there's something in my brain with the Ragnow draft pick from a couple years ago and a few of the other linemen that we have drafted that makes me think it's just not working. Let's get somebody that's at least fun to watch. Yeah. But I mean Derrick Henry is gonna be a free agent. Uh, coming up this year, would you guys be opposed to the Lions, you know, paying top dollar to bring him to Detroit? I certainly wouldn't be opposed to taking a look at how it fits in the budget. Maybe, maybe Stafford could, uh, you know, shell out some of his money and spread it out longer term. I don't know. That's not a bad thought. If I didn't realize he was a free agent coming up, he's a free agent, and you have to think that it, the Titans are kind of in a weird spot because after turning over to. Tannehill, which obviously clearly was the right move for this year. You know, their franchise quarterback was supposed to be Marcus Mariota, but you have to think that he's either going to get traded, move on, or whatever, because once you once you bench him for Tannehill, that's basically saying that they're moving on from Mariota. But it's like, are you really going to roll with Ryan Tannehill as your you know, like starting quarterback going forward? Because, you know, he, he played okay. He only threw for 160 yards combined in those first two playoff wins. So they were clearly solely relying on Derrick Henry. So if they're not going to just break the bank and pay Derrick Henry whatever, you know, if he ends up going somewhere else, the Titans might be in a really weird spot with no Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill as their starting quarterback. But, yeah, the Lions, yeah, 
go ahead and see what Derrick Henry wants. If if he wants max contract, whatever that is for a running back, would they be wrong to give it to him? Because while we all kind of like what we've seen out of Carryon Johnson, he just can't seem to stay healthy. And the rest of the running backs we have, while they're like nice when when we're starting David Blau and just trying to get through the season, you know, you clearly need someone who's going to put up numbers like Derrick Henry or someone you can rely on because the Lions haven't had that in a long time. The whole the whole thing is, you, if you go for a guy like Henry, I kind of look at him like an Adrian Peterson. You know, you need somebody that is durable, and and you're right about Carryon Johnson, just not durable enough, and that seems to be what's killed the Lions. I will say this though, I mean, in the Super Bowl, the two running backs are both undrafted. Both both the starting running backs are undrafted are undrafted players. Wow. So I do think that there is something to be said with. I mean, like like Matt was saying about the offensive line. If you have a really good offensive line, you can put almost anyone in the backfield. Now, as a fan, as somebody who likes entertainment, I do like the idea of signing Derrick Henry. I don't know if it makes the most football sense though. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, that's the thing. The, the you know, I kind of said it earlier, but the 49ers, one thing, they obviously build a strong defense. And, you know, you talk about, like, with Nick Bosa and some other guys, they built up their defense. But the last few years, they have been building up that offensive line with some draft picks. So they can go out there and start a dude named Raheem Mostert, who's been cut by, like, seven teams, I think. And this was, like, his seventh or eighth team anyway. And he rushed for 220 yards yesterday. And four touchdowns, didn't he? Yeah, four touchdowns, and yeah, maybe that's just like he – it was just like a special day type of thing. Maybe you're not going to rely on that day in, day out. But to Jared's point, you build up an awesome offensive line, and Ragnall is one of the best centers in the league. So I know obviously three wins this year doesn't show show much, but you know that was a strong draft pick right there. If they can build up that offensive line, uh, that, that would be a great improvement. But I don't know so how I don't know how our, our conversation about Championship Sunday and the Super Bowl has turned into Lions talk because I feel like that's just wishful thinking. But yeah, it, it, and that's just us as Lions fans. I mean, why? I will say this, I, man. Why do I keep saying that? I will. I will say this. I've said that like four times, but I will say this <laughs> as, as a Lions fan. I am happy to see that the Chiefs, a notoriously franchise that has a fan base that's been kind of tortured, I'm glad to see that they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, it's their first Super Bowl in 50 years. Yeah, We're kind of checking off the list of these tortured fan franchises sooner or later. It's just going to come down to the Browns or the Lions, and it, we're probably going to end up being the last team to, to make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I hate to say I agree with you, but I do agree with you on that. And it is it is cool to see the, the Chiefs make it to the Super Bowl. You know, they haven't been a an inept franchise like the Lions have been. I mean, at least they've been to the playoffs multiple times, and they've won playoff games. It's just been a Super Bowl drought. I mean, the Lions and the Browns, you said it all there in the mouthful. They're they're the last two out there standing, man. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen in some other sports, just thinking about baseball, like curses ended. Obviously, the Red Sox a while ago, the Cubs, but... I don't know. It, there's just a feeling that what is it going to take for the Lions curse, if you want to call it that, the Billy Goat curse to, <laughs> to finally end? What is Jared? What do you always call it? The the ghost of Bobby Lane? It is. It's the curse of Bobby Lane. It's a true story. Look it up. You can Google it. <laughs> well, to, to be fair, he only put it for 50 years, and that 50 years is up. So it, it any is year up. now, it should be the Lions year. Well, you know, it's funny, though. 
and maybe it's just because they are a little bit cursed, but you look at a team like, uh, was it San Francisco last year that had four or five wins, you know, and then all of a sudden look where they're at now. I know I know Garofalo was hurt, but still, there's always, every, every year there's a team or two that comes from nowhere and turns things around, and we have to hope the Lions one of these years stays healthy because I think talent-wise – they're pretty decent. I mean, they have some holes for sure, but this year was – you just have to throw this year completely out with all the injuries, especially the one to Stafford. Yeah, I, yeah and that's the, – the 49ers, even though I've been I've been adamant about – you know, I wouldn't be upset if, if the Lions were able to draft Chase Young. But I, I feel like they should just go different directions. But the 49ers are like a perfect example of maybe like supporting – drafting Chase Young because, like you said, so Garoppolo got hurt last year, but otherwise they didn't make a ton of moves in other places, but getting Nick Bosa kind of like rejuvenated up that defensive line and took them over the top maybe. They, they did add some other pieces, but, you know, putting him on that defensive line really took that defense over the top. So who knows? Yeah, maybe Stafford stays healthy all next year. Maybe on Johnson, for the most part, stays healthy all year. They've already got, you know, solid receivers. Whatever they drafted a tight end at number eight, maybe he ends up being good. So yeah, maybe drafting a Chase Young or something and trying to go like the Forty Niners are out is what the Lions should do. Let, let me ask you this: back to your, back to your comment about offensive linemen. Now you you don't want them to draft an offensive lineman number three, do you? Are you thinking maybe a trade down? I, yeah, I would rather see a trade down. There's there's a couple linemen like out of Georgia and Alabama who are getting graded by the whatever the draft experts like top ten draft picks. Maybe not necessarily number three, but I I still think that like the way to go if the if someone really wants Tua or someone Chase Young if he's available at three, convince those teams that we're taking them, and you know try and stock up on a couple bunch of picks, move back down to seven or you know something like that. And the Lions' best I, strategy is just to stay quiet, isn't it? Don't even don't even give any inkling what you're doing. I guess that's my thing. Like if if Tua gets cleared medical, all that cause he's all good, has a good camp. I would be like com- convincing everyone that we're that the Lions are going to draft Tua, so people start trading up. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, I, maybe I, you stay quiet, and you know, I I don't know. Who who knows what the hell the Lions are going to do? But I, I just I feel like they have they have so many different. Do you shore up the offensive line? You could you could make a big move with the defensive line if you get Chase Young, but. It's the Lions. What do you guys think yeah, about? So a lot of people are talking about the Chiefs' offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Um, you know, obviously he's having a bunch of success with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, but he's kind of that like hot name for for the next um, head coach. Would you, if say, say we have to go through another six and ten years or something like that, do you think he would be a candidate for the next head coach? I'd love to bring him in as head coach. As it's been established on this podcast, I hate Matt Patricia. <laughs> I mean, did we hear the stat that the Tigers drafted Patrick Mahomes and they now have more Super Bowl quarterbacks than the Lions do? I mean, are you kidding me? I, of course, that scrolls across that my timeline when I when that's the last thing I want to see. But that just kind of makes me just a quick segue. Uh, side side note: I hate baseball. Why would you draft Mahomes if you're the line, if you're the Tigers? It just makes no sense to me. But anyway, I would like the enemy to come to the Lions. But let's just hope that Patricia is gone by then. That we could be have the opportunity to try to uh, hire him. Would you rather see the Lions stink and they lose Patricia, or do you think a ten win season you'd be okay with it? It's kind of a win win scenario, is the way I look at it. We have a 10 win season. It's a 10 win season. I'm happy. Matt Patricia shows me that at least he has something. Right. But the thing that worries me about the Lions, and 
like Matt said, I can't believe we're spending so much time in the Lions when it's championship weekend. But <laughs> when you watch the way the Packers played and Aaron Rodgers almost seemingly within a year has became a game manager, it just makes me wonder how long do we have with Stafford playing at the level that we saw this year? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if next year he kind of takes a step back <clears throat> and then we just kind of have to deal with what the Packers were kind of dealing with, with last night, which is Rodgers just isn't that good anymore, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it's kind of sad as well. I don't understand why Lions fans, we hate the Packers so much. That's kind of another thing that I don't understand. It's, they make a rivalry. It's really not a rivalry. I don't have any sort of hate for Aaron Rodgers. But it's, seeing a quarterback like Rodgers take that step back, it makes you a little bit worrisome when you're holding off hope that Stafford's going to carry us next year. Yeah, part of the hate's the division rivalry thing, and they've been playing them forever. Uh, but, you know, Rodgers had a bad game. Do you think he really had that that big of a step back this year? I think he really did. Yeah, You never had that, wow, Aaron Rodgers moment. I mean, remember game one against the Chicago Bears, Monday Night Football, where everyone was watching, or Thursday Night Football, excuse me. Right. And they put up maybe like 10 points, and it was just because, it was a defensive effort by the Packers that won them the game. I mean, it's been a whole year. I mean, look at his first, first half stat line, 9 of 12 passing, 64 yards, three turnovers. Yeah. I mean, good grief. Yeah, he wasn't into it last night, and obviously their defense wasn't into that game. For whatever reason, the 49ers were just – they were definitely destined to win that game. But uh, I don't know. Another side note, by the way, the Tigers drafted Mahomes 37th round. So what did it, what did it matter? <laughs> you see, like, like Russell Wilson got drafted, and a lot of these dual-sport athletes, yeah. a lot of times teams will just – Pick them up, yeah, in the 37th, 38th round, like just in case they happen to go play baseball. But it is kind of funny when you see that, that the Tigers have drafted more Super Bowl starting quarterbacks than the Lions. It's actually really sad. But, yeah, like to Jared's point, like I am, I have kind of like been thinking about that too. Obviously I'm a huge Stafford fan, but that's part of my reason in trying to shore up the offensive line because I think that's part of why Rodgers, if you wanted to say he's taking a step back, he had a bad game yesterday, but he's still – still really good obviously but you know he's had some pretty bad injuries the last three or four years that maybe have affected his you know mobility and stuff like that and clearly Stafford I don't know if the back issue is going to linger or what or if injuries are starting to really pile up for him but yeah like if Stafford is the guy that you're rolling with I said it a bunch of times but you would think that you you have to protect him so that that's just my biggest thing you know if if you don't want to turn into like like what you said, Jared, where Stafford just becomes like a game manager, then you got to get a good offensive line so he can drop back and pass or so you can establish a run and, and really take the pressure off of him throwing the ball. Well, you're starting to sway me a little bit here, man. I'm, you have a pretty good argument. I have to admit it. All right, boys. Now, Like, like I said, I wouldn't be mad if they got Chase Young because if he is, that has an impact like Bosa does for the 49ers, that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, now, Jared, you're a resident gambler. Right now, the early line is Kansas City a one and a half point favorite. What what will it take you to to get involved in uh, putting a few down on the Super Bowl? I've already, I've always been a. I mean, I love the Super Bowl. I love media week. Love Super Bowl media week. I love everything that comes with it. The gambling, all the different prop bets that are out there. I think it's a stay away on the who's going to win the game. I, that both teams are so good. Chiefs favored by one and a half. I don't think you can really. No one really has a good idea on who's going to win that game, I don't think. But yeah. I do think the over. I do think the over, and I'm not sure what the early line has been for the over. I think you take that and just kind of enjoy the fireworks. Yeah. And if it, we remember last year, that was kind of my thought process last year. I said it was like a lock that the Patriots versus the Rams was going to go over, and it ended up being like a 20-point game. So, <laughs> way off. So maybe don't take my advice. 
Well, well, one more thing I do have on the games, though. Yeah. Um, Richard Sherman. I don't know if you guys are on as online as I am. Just kind of, I'm on Twitter all the time, so every time he tweets, I see it. But man, this guy never logs off, and for good reason. Every time Richard Sherman makes a good play, he's had a couple interceptions in the playoffs. Now a new person comes after him, and now this time it's Dale Reeves. Yeah, who obviously was a very good corner. But he just everyone comes after him saying he's a he's a cover corner and how he's scared to guard guys in man to man. And I personally don't care. I'm a huge Richard Sherman fan, and and it's sad to see someone like Dale Rivas have to come after him as somebody who's retired. And, and basically, it's Richard Sherman, Sherman said back to him, "You're sitting on the couch, man. Like I don't know why you're talking to me." So I just wonder where do we stand on the Richard Sherman Dale Rivas debate? Well, first of all, I, I have no clue why Rivas thinks he needs to chime in and dog on him. And number two. I, uh, I I think Sherman, he doesn't need to respond. It seems to me like he's got a little bit of thin skin if he has to respond to these these people. I mean, he's a, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he's a he's as good as it gets, in my opinion. Yeah, you would think he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and he's still up there. He's one of the best corners in the league, anyway. And it is funny when you see, you know, I, th- I think Rivas and Sherman, they've because they were both kind of at the peak and in, in their prime at yep. the same time. So there was a lot of discussion about who's the best in the league when when those two guys were were the best in the league. So, you know, I don't know if there's like a rivalry there or whatever, but, you know, it is kind of funny when you see a guy taking a shot at him, like Revis tweeted out a screen grab, like a picture of Sherman getting, you know, when Devontae Adams toasted him and had like a 60-yard gain. Like, you take a picture of that from your couch and take a shot at him, but then Sherman had the game-ending pick. Right. Same time, like – it is kind of strange when you see stuff like that. I just and, and, and another time that somebody came out was Frank Clark for the Chiefs, and this may be the last thing we talk about. But Frank Clark, so basically, for those who don't know, he told the media right before the game against the Titans that he didn't think there was any difficulty in tackling Derrick Henry, uh, even though he had had like 377 yards in the two previous playoff games. And then little do we know, Chiefs come out, Derrick Henry held the 69 rush yards, and their rush defense just looks incredible. And he comes out and says on Twitter and in the post-game interview, like, quote that. Quote, basically, that I sh- we shut him down and I was right all along. I mean, it took some balls for him to come out and say that. And when he said I thought, wow, this is going to come back and haunt him. But they backed it up. And yeah. I, mean, I, just, I love Twitter. That's why we are all big fans of Twitter right there. We are indeed. Well, that that's a big thing is, like, when, you know, that there's that kind of trash talk all the time. And it's it's all about if someone actually backs it up. But sometimes, like, when when people make headlines, those, like, locker room you know, um, bulletin board material type quotes. Sometimes I, I wonder, like, what did you expect the guy to say? Like, if a Frank Clark, like, what are you going to do against Derrick Henry? He looks unstoppable right now. Like, is he supposed to say, like, I don't know. Yeah, he's probably going to rush for 200 yards on us, too. You know, I don't know. <laughs> you know, these guys are, like, uber competitive, confident, egomaniacs, a lot of them, you yeah. know. Of course they're going to, like, say, no, we're going to – I'll go head-on-head with him. I'll do the Oklahoma drill with him, and I'll knock him back. Like, of course they're going to say stuff like that. So sometimes, like, when I see people say, like, oh, bulletin board material, it's like, what do you want them to say? All right. Do it. we all set for NFL talk, fellas? Well, it should be fun. So, Jared, you kind of – you you said it already, but I was, I was going to ask before we wrap up. So do we like this two-week buildup to the Super Bowl? Like, or has it gotten, like – a little out of control with the media coverage, you know, the constant questions, everyone breaking it down, super in-depth analysis and everything. Is it a little too much? I don't think so. I mean, football, you got to cherish it while we got it, Matt. 
we only got one more game left. I mean, do you really, I mean, I'd rather have football season exp- expanded another week where we get to kind of, you know, make analysis and talk about it on the podcast. God knows in a few months we're going to have absolutely nothing to talk about. So I'll find with one more week of previewing and talking. And, and I love the media scrum. I, I mean, a couple of years ago when I was in Minnesota, they had, or in Minneapolis, they had everyone go to the Mall of America, all the media members for interviews and stuff like that. I, I love it. And I love all the content that, some of our favorite media members do put out during Super Bowl week. So I, I appreciate it. You know, Jared, as a young guy getting into the business, you never know. Maybe you'll be at a Super Bowl press press row someday, huh? How cool That'd be the goal. Wouldn't I'd that be, be cool? Maybe you'll be with me. Maybe maybe through my podcast will be there. You never know. It'd be fun. And, I, and back to answer your question, Matt, I at one time back in the day I thought the two-week thing was no good. It's better to go the next week, but – yeah, it's overkill. They're trying to find stories. There's a lot of nonsense in this two weeks, but I'm with Jared. I think the I think the two weeks is fine. Hey, it elongates the football season an extra week. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I like it too. You know, maybe there's some some of the coverage is a bit much or whatever, but otherwise, like Jared said, I mean, you just got to soak it in right now because you know college football's already done. Only one more football game for the year, or at least for this season. Well, yeah, XFL baby. <laughs> you know, there, I haven't looked at the schedule, but I'm assuming Saturday and Sunday, probably some pretty good uh, college basketball games, I would guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's already kind of started. But, yeah, this is definitely when college basketball really ramps up. Right. All right. Only eight weeks until Selection Sunday. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. That gets us through the winter for sure. Okay, guys, we're going to have uh, a little entertainment tonight coming up, a couple of documentaries to get into and talk about. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about the Corona Connection, thecoronaconnection.com. They know it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at coronaconnection.com. And speaking of Corona, make Corona your school of choice. Young or old, it's great to be gold. Also, Advanced Elevator Company, they feature top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators. An area business leader and longtime supporter of the Corona Public Schools and a proud partner of Three Point Podcast. All right, guys, I don't know if uh, both of you guys have seen one or both of the documentaries I'm going to talk about, but the first one I'm going to tee up is Killer Inside the Mind of Aaron Hernandez. Now, Jared, I think you saw it, didn't you? Yes. Yep. Did you get a chance to see it, Matt? Yeah. All right, so we'll have a good discussion about this. For people uh, maybe not aware of it, it's on Netflix. It's a three-parter about Aaron Hernandez, uh, you know, a convicted murderer, former NFL Patriots star tight end. And first of all, I think it was pretty well done. I know a lot of people out there are criticizing some facts were left out, this and that. But for those three hours – I, I sure learned a whole heck of a lot more about Aaron Hernandez than I knew beforehand. What would you guys think? One of my big takeaways from this documentary was anytime that you have footage from inside the courtroom and it's two lawyers going back and forth uh, trying to defend or trying to prosecute somebody, it's must-watch. I mean, it, I've always wondered why the OJ case was so entertaining. I'm not going to lie, this is one of the first times that I've ever watched you know, kind of inside a courtroom. So that was one of my big takeaways. I mean, Jose Baez, Aaron Hernandez, defense attorney, who also represented Casey Anthony. I mean, the guys, you got to watch him. Like, when he's on TV, he's an electric factory. So that was one of my main takeaways as regard to the entertainment value. But, man, it, what a weird 
story. And I know a lot of people are complaining about, oh, like this is just basically coming up with excuses for why Aaron Hernandez like killed those three people. I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of a touchy subject, but I do think that it did kind of excuse his murders. But I think in a good in a good way because when you have CTE. And when you're dealing with the stuff, when he's abused as a kid and, you know, his dad passes away at a young age, I don't know if that's necessarily excuses or just kind of reasons for why somebody kind of turns into a killer. Well, I think they gave it, they, they made it look, well, let's put it this way, made, made him, made you have a little sympathy for him. I don't know if you could give him an excuse, but uh, uh, let's face it, he was a sociopathic killer. And whether it was CTE involved or not, that still remains to be proven, but there's a whole lot of other athletes that had CTE that didn't go out killing people. Yeah. And that's obviously the big debate. And, you know, the doctor came out in the documentary, they talk about it. The doctor came out after looking at his brain and said it was the worst case of CTE she's ever seen specifically for someone his age. So it's one of those things that, you know, like, like you said, Jared, it's not, you don't want to make an excuse for him. He, he is responsible. He was held responsible. He committed those murders and and he was held responsible. He he had to pay the price, and and now he's dead. But you know, as far as the entertainment, the actual documentary, yeah, I I think it was really well done. You know, if you followed the trial or any of the any of the stuff that was going on around Aaron Hernandez, a lot of that stuff has come out before. There's some podcasts about it too that go way more in depth even than this documentary does. So a lot of that information actually has been out. Um, this, this documentary does with some things go a little more in depth with some of the interviews they had and then with that that the phone calls from prison yeah. that's a completely yeah. different side that you hadn't seen before so you know that that was really interesting to see it gives it a whole other dynamic but to me like my my biggest takeaway is and, and like i said it's not making excuses for the guy because he he is the one who made the decisions to to kill these people and commit these crimes and commit these murders so he he it is his fault he should be. He should have been put in prison and everything. But you know, whenever we watch these kind of shows about serial killers, whether they talk to people on death row or whatever the show is, it, I just my the thing that always like hits me, and maybe it's because I'm a parent now or something. But I I can't understand how the parents of these people who become serial killers or commit these awful crimes can kind of just like skate away they're just like sitting there in the courtroom watching their kid getting put away to prison for life or sometimes they're not even in the courtroom they're not even supporting their kid or whatever because they're the ones that you know you always hear the thing that racism people kids aren't born racist racism is taught you know a lot of these kids a lot of these people are adults who are getting convicted of these these awful heinous crimes were sexually assaulted, were molested, had parents who were absent, had alcoholic parents, had abusive parents, and had this stuff that clearly messed with these kids' minds. And it just it blows my mind sometimes that it's just all put on the kids. And, you know, I, I know, like in this case, Hernandez is the one that committed the crimes. But, man, there's a side to me that thinks, like, the parents should be held accountable at some point because I, I just – you know, you, you almost do feel bad for Hernandez with the way that he was treated growing up. And then, you know, he had the relationship with one of his friends. So if he's having to mask, you know, his homosexuality, which is a, like a whole other discussion to have, you know, that just adds a whole other side to him trying to be masculine. You know, they talked about the, the tattoos and him trying to act like a tough gangster, like a fake gangster to try and mask, 
you know, maybe another side, living a, a double life, basically. So, and, you know, you don't want to feel bad for the guy because he did commit multiple murders. But the the way that he grew up with the, the abusive dad, the, the dad that wasn't accepting of his, maybe his lifestyle that he wanted to live, you know, the you can't do that. It, it's a little more acceptable now in, in football or even in our society, but it's still – you know, for for people to be outspoken and come out of the closet like that, it's still not very acceptable, and that's that's really sad. So, I, my main takeaway was I, I kind of did feel bad for the guy, but you know, when it boils down to it, he's the one that committed the crime. Yeah, and I mean, you broke it down perfectly there. And the, one of my notes was that I took away from you know watching it. Boy, his mom's a special treat. I mean, wow. <laughs> what a descriptor. Uh, yeah, one of the main parts of the documentary that I remember was the phone call he had with his mom when he was in jail and she was basically bitching at him because he didn't give her a million dollars. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's stuff like that that kind of make you understand why I guess it might happen to someone as I think all three of us kind of grew up in really good families where yes. that never was like, we can't even really imagine something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's definitely hard to relate, but man, you know, if you want to, if you want to spend three hours watching something that will definitely suck you in, especially if you don't know a whole lot about Aaron Hernandez, I, I would recommend it. I, you know, on the three point pod scale of one to three, I give it a solid 2.829 right in that range. I mean, it was very interesting to watch. Definitely interesting to watch. And, you know, it was crazy, like seeing some of the stuff about about Bristol, because yeah, a lot of this was yeah. When a lot of this was going on, I was living in Bristol, and I worked with a lot of people who work at ESPN, especially in Bristol. There's a lot of people there who were born and raised in Bristol, and then they end up getting in TV and work at ESPN, and you know that's kind of cool to think that in your hometown is ESPN, so you can just stay in your hometown and work there. But uh, a couple guys, a couple of my friends actually, who I was pretty good friends with up in Bristol were grew up with Aaron Hernandez and one specifically was very good friends with him and I mean up until the day that he died was kept in touch with him he went to Florida Aaron because he he wanted to like go with his friend and um, he he didn't play football but he went to Florida with Aaron to like go to school with his friend or whatever Um, so you know I've talked to him a few times about it but it was crazy to see all that stuff unfolding in Bristol because it was like like they talked about in a documentary that you know we we came from a small town you know there in small towns there's like those families that are almost like celebrities if you want to say that and yeah that the Hernandez family like they said in the documentary they were like a celebrity family in that community so it it was interesting to see that unfold and kind of like a funny uh, well it's not funny but a, like an interesting story that I like one of my friends had a a pretty interesting run-in with that whole scenario. So one of my friends that I worked with uh, when, when Hernandez was getting, you know, the cops were chasing him or however you want to say it, uh, my buddy went home from work, and he lived in an apartment complex in Bristol, and it had assigned parking spots for your apartment. And so he went home, and there was a car in his parking spot. So he goes to his the management office, and he says, hey, you know, there's a, a car in my parking spot. And he said, yeah. That's uh, the police are suspecting that that might be one of Aaron Hernandez's getaway cars. So we can't touch that right now. The police are coming to look at it. So, oh, wow. Pretty, pretty wild. So, but. so what was the timing, Matt, when you were at uh, ESPN in Bristol? Was, was Hernandez in high school or had he already moved on to Florida? No. Yeah, he had already moved on. He, he had already even he, he had been in the NFL. And, okay. Um, 
Yeah. How old do you think that is? Well, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, and, and a couple of the things that I just kind of wanted to throw out, a couple of the notes I made. It's kind of crazy how similar the story sort of was to the Chris Heron story. Because at one point yeah. they mentioned how Hernandez basically requested a trade for the Patriots and how his friends were saying the worst thing that could have happened to him was getting drafted by his hometown team, the New England Patriots, because it kind of brought him closer to like the drugs and, and, and all the kind of the gang sort of problems that he had, which is a lot like what Chris Heron said, yeah. where he was with the Denver Nuggets. He was clean for the entire season that he was with them. And then as soon as he went to the Boston Celtics, everything went downhill. Yeah. Um, and, and then the, one of the characters from this this docu, document docu series that I thought was worthy of note was the quote unquote star quarterback. Yeah. Who at one point, when they say that he had a relationship with with Aaron Hernandez for about five years when they were younger, uh, but anyway, he says that he was the star quarterback. So I did some digging on this guy's high school stats. Uh, his senior year, he threw one pass. <laughs> And quote unquote, if you remember in the documentary, he said him and Aaron Hernandez were the star quarterback and the star tight end of the team. Yeah, so I, I did. That was worthy of being thrown out. Like you putting yourself on the the star player in the state, the Mister Football of Connecticut, when you throw one pass your senior year. Wow. I, I don't know. I don't know if you're quite a star quarterback at that point. Well, that that was one of the things. Yeah, like Hernandez, um, he was kind of like running back slash tight end. But yeah, I, I did see some people comment about that, like. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I didn't know he only threw one pass his senior year, but that is pretty crazy. Gotta love yeah, the internet. He, yeah, you can tell that he was because uh, his his junior year he was thirty eight for eighty two for seven hundred and seventy yards, which isn't necessarily a great stat line. <laughs> but then you get to tell he probably was replaced uh, the very next year. But one more thing I had: it's weird and bizarre how many Man Candy Mondays I've been seeing on Twitter since this documentary came out about Aaron Hernandez, where girls I know. And just girls in general are basically tweeting out how hot this guy is, which oh. is kind of weird for that to be your takeaway from this documentary. Wow. <laughs> I guess maybe it's like the whole Ted Bundy thing. Like, uh, like yeah. when you say Ted back back then, all the I mean, and, and all the documentaries and stuff about Ted Bundy talked about how girls were just in love with the guy, right? Right, right. Well, there is there is something to be said about uh, the female persuasion. A lot of them they do like their bad boys. <laughs> Yeah. And in one part of the documentary, the, the lawyer basically said, I wish that the whole jury was females, because at one point when Aaron Hernandez walked through the door, I guess one of the jury members said, oh, my gosh, he's gorgeous. Oh. It's like, yeah. good God. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that, like, that'd be smell. crazy. I can't imagine, like, you know, I, I don't know if people laughed or whatever, but that's got to be a strange way to start a trial like that. God. You know, with a comment and, you know, laughter or whatever happens after that. But, you know, you were talking about Chris Heron and then obviously Aaron Hernandez. And I, I always said the same thing about Charles Rogers. Yeah. The guy from Saginaw, and then he was a superstar at Michigan State, got drafted by the Lions. And I just remember thinking. Similar. Not yet. Not only did I not really want him on the Lions because he was a Michigan State guy, but I, it just seemed like it was, a, it was bad news for him to sign a huge contract and be connected and so close to whatever was going on with him in Saginaw and, you know, his, his hometown and stuff. And obviously it didn't work out that well. So there's something to be said. I mean, they even talked about it in the documentary that some of his closest friends were hoping he got drafted by the Chargers or the Seahawks or something like that. Because, you know, who knows how, how things would have played out if he, if he uh, you know, got drafted somewhere across the country. Yep. Yeah, it's funny how fate plays out sometimes. And, it, boy, 
it definitely makes you think for, for some of these guys like Heron Rogers and, and Hernandez, man, just yeah. being at home, it made it too convenient. You know, one thing that this documentary definitely made me think about, and as far as our society has come in accepting the LGBT community and people being able to live more freely and be more outspoken about their sexual preferences and everything, clearly there is still a, a lot of hurdles for us to get over because even though this was, you know, about 10, 10 or so years ago, that that was a big problem, I think, for Hernandez to have to deal with, growing up in a home where his father wasn't accepting of it, living or wanting to be have a career in professional football where you're supposed to be super masculine. And, you know, there was the guy in the documentary who was also playing for the Patriots who had to hide his lifestyle. And it just makes me think about how sad it is, maybe because I'm somebody who's never had a problem with it and always been open to accepting people who live an LGBT lifestyle. Um, it, it's sad to think about how many people are still out there, how many kids are still out there, like Hernandez, when he said he was seven years old and wanted to become a cheerleader, wanted to be a cheerleader, but his family and his dad wouldn't accept it and told him no, that there's a, probably a lot of other kids out there who are still having to mask that, having to hide that. And, and you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm not going to judge somebody or I'm not, it's hard for me to judge somebody or look at somebody when I haven't walked in their shoes. I don't know what, what it's like to have to live like that. I don't know what it's like to have to hide basically a whole part of your life, a whole characteristic of your life, and then have to live a double life basically. You know, I don't know what that's like. So you, you couple that with the parents, the, the mom that we already talked about, the dad who you know, was more like a drill sergeant, a little abusive and alcoholic or whatever was going on there. And, you know, trying to live like a tough lifestyle, a, you know, a, a gangster lifestyle. And then also being so young, 17 years old, going to Florida and Urban Meyer basically letting him do whatever he wants, covering up all the other things that he did while he was at Florida. So now he feels like he's invincible. And then he signs a $40 million contract with the Patriots you know, you kind of add all this stuff together, and then also we we can't just brush aside the CTE. The, the CTE case that he had was terrible. I mean, the doctor said it, and clearly, like that, that's a huge issue. They're still trying to see exactly what the what the effects of CTE are, but obviously, there's something to that. So it's kind of like you add all that stuff together, and it's just like the formula for like creating a murderer, I guess. And it's it's just super sad. And again. It's not making excuses for the guy because he is the one who went out and committed the crimes, but it, it's just super sad. You know, we always like to get input from our listeners out there, and we had a, a tweet to us by Miggy Incognito at Incognito underscore Miggy Tweets. He says, Aaron Hernandez, part three, really made you think about CTE, hashtag AB. And boy, that's kind of another another strange saga with A.B. there and what's been going on with him, and it does make you wonder about C.T.E. there as well. I mean, you just have to almost think about that automatically. Well, it does, and I mean, that, that again, we're, we're not making excuses for Hernandez, but when you add in the childhood, childhood you know, scenario, whatever right. it was that he went through, if he was covering up kind of living a double life, if he was involved in some drugs and a little bit of gang stuff, and then you add in the CTE, I mean, like they said multiple times in the documentary, it's like he was a ticking time bomb. And it, it does make you wonder if, I mean, we remember some of those hits Antonio Brown was taking from, like, Vontaze Perfect and some of the other hits that Brown took throughout his career. I, you have to wonder if, if 
he has some early onset CTE going on because, man, he he obviously is doing some really really strange stuff the last couple months. Yeah, did you guys see the video where he was hollering at the police and they're hauling his kids away and yeah. that whole scenario? I mean, what a when I saw that, I just felt really sad. I mean, it's come to this. Kind of selfishly, when when they were when they're talking about the CTE, I mean, we all played football for probably at least ten years. We were playing tackle football, right? I wonder is it is it one of those things where you need to almost make it to the NFL level or play for college for for another extra four years where you're really taking some big hits from some guys who are really strong or is it something that all three of us kind of do have it a little bit inside our brains? I do think that that might be the case. Well, do any of us think we've ever had a concussion? I think I may have had one or two in my lifetime. How about you guys? I remember two or three times JV year, but definitely. A couple times in varsity football, having, you know, your bell rung. Exactly. And just kind of shaking the cobwebs off and, and keeping playing. So whether it was a concussion or not, I don't know. But I definitely remember some of those shaking the cobwebs off moments. Yeah, I, would, I never had a specific where I had to miss a game or where I had to come out of a game because of a concussion. But there's definitely been a few times where you know, your, your, your site kind of goes black or whatever. And like Matt said, you have to kind of shake out the cobwebs. I, I definitely had a bunch of those hits. Yeah. I mean, and you know, okay, we've been through that, but it's only been a couple. And, and to your point, if you go and play college football for four or five years, okay, you're, you're definitely going to get some brain impact in those four or five years. And then especially you go to the NFL, I think there's a lot to be said about it. And I think we're only touching the very beginning you know, the more the more players that come down with it and, you know, donate their brains to science, I mean, boy, we're going to hear a lot more. There's no doubt. Yeah, you have to think that it's just going to keep going because, it, you know, I, I just think about even though equipment, technology, and everything is probably better than it ever has been, but these guys are playing, I mean, from the time they're fifth grade and they don't stop, you right. know, so by the time they get to the NFL, yeah, they've already been playing for 15, 20 years or something like that, repeated blows to the head. And now they're, they're playing year-round in seven-on-sevens and, you know, passing leagues and stuff like that. And, you know, even though it might be like touch football or, you know, it's not full contact, there's still some, like, there, there's still some, you know, you still make some tackles or there's still some hitting in those leagues. So, you know, I almost feel like it maybe is getting worse because especially when you see these guys – I know, you know, we talk about like the Dick Buckus days and the Mike Singletary days. Those guys were those guys were badasses, but some of these guys playing now are bigger, faster. I mean, you got offensive linemen that are faster than running backs back in the day, you know. So Oh yeah. And much bigger. Seems like it might be getting worse. Yeah. Well, well, it's quite yeah. quite a quite a thing that they have to deal with for sure. And that was quite a docu series. And speaking of that, we got one more to talk about. I know you didn't get a chance to see it yet, Matt, but you're planning on it and I would recommend you see it. In fact, anybody listening, you you got to see this. It's called Don't F With Cats, Hunting an Internet Killer. Now, they, they say the word F a lot in this thing, but it is one of the most bizarre stories I've ever heard. <laughs> I had a guy come up to me in my office last oh, week, God. last Friday, or last Thursday, rather, and he says, Ted, did you see this series on Netflix, Don't F With Cats? And I said, what are you talking about? I didn't. I hadn't even heard of it. He says, i got to talk to somebody about this. It's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. And just to kind of set the stage for anybody out there maybe has no clue what I'm talking about, This, it starts out where there's a video online of, of some guy. You can kind of see a profile of him. And it's if, for any animal lovers, you may not want to see this. But 
he's actually t- killing a k- couple of kittens, putting them in a vacuum bag. That sets the stage. And he posted it online for people to see. So this chick in Las Vegas and this guy in L.A., they see this online and they said, we got to put an end to this. So they start doing some detective work online. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen as they're trying to track down where this dude is, who this dude is. And it's incredible for three hours. Now, Jared, you saw it, right? Yeah. How would you describe it? It's an insane story. Basically, it's a 15,000-person Facebook group that takes it upon themselves to dedicate basically their lives to finding this guy. Just be, I mean, and I'd say just, I don't know if that's the right word, but just because he killed a couple of cats, which I know that the video was pretty bad, but when you have something like the Aaron Hernandez story where two people died and the cops basically just gave up hope trying to find out who killed these two guys because they didn't have any leads, but yet two cats are killed and 15,000 people are in uproar trying to find this guy. It's just kind of crazy how animals have that effect on people. Well, they do, and then I think what they also wanted to point out, I mean, obviously it was the uh, the complete anger for, for torturing animals, but the other thing is that, that has been proven out there like Jeffrey Dahmer and some of these other serial killers, that's where they start by killing pets, killing animals. And that's what they were concerned with. And that's why they thought, man, they got to, they got to track this guy down before he kills a human. And you know, and they were a little bit late, a little late. Yeah. And one thing that they kind of glossed over in spoilers ahead, I guess, is the fact that this horde of, Internet trolls, I guess for lack of a better word, on this Facebook group, basically bullied a guy into killing himself because that's who they thought they they guessed wrong on who they thought this guy was. And the guy ended up killing himself because he's getting so much hate and they just glossed over it. It basically was like a two minute thing in a documentary. Yeah, you know, I, it was so, it was so glossed over, Jared. I, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. And, and, and another problem I had with this documentary is it's funny how they tried to make this guy seem like he was like Leonardo DiCaprio and catch me if you can. Like this guy was an idiot. He wasn't some super genius like they tried to paint him out to be. He's a guy who put a couple videos on one Facebook group and it, it, as an, under an anonymous name, which is pretty impossible to find unless you go through Facebook and do all the channels that they really didn't do. And look at the guy. He had a wolf bedspread. I mean, he's, you get a grip. He's not so. He's not Leonardo DiCaprio. Catch me if you can. Yeah, but you have to admit, though, it was pretty intriguing. Again, I don't want to give away a lot of, you know, the, the the finish of it or anything like that. But you have to admit, it was pretty impressive. Uh, the online detective work these people did to track. It really was. <laughs> it really was. I don't. It, this seems like a group that you definitely would have participated in if you had known. <laughs> Yeah, if I knew how to work that darn computer. <laughs> I'm, now, I'm surprised you watched it, Jared, because, uh, you know, I, I know you're afraid of the boogeyman at night. It, 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 to, part of it was because I was doing it to prep for this podcast, and part of it was because, kind of like the guy at work said to you, it's kind of something you just have to watch. Yeah. And I heard it from so many different people up here at school, that I'm like, all right, fine, I'm going to watch it. And you, I knocked out two of the three-part documentary series in one night. It's just one of those things you just kind of start watching. It's a pretty well-put-together documentary, and the story really is pretty crazy how these people were basically, I mean, for lack of a better analogy, they were basically Tom Hanks And Catch Me If You Can trying to right. catch this guy. Yeah, so Matt, I know you haven't seen it. Hopefully we haven't given away a, a ton of it, but definitely worth seeing. And I wanted to ask Jared, just 
So is this something that, like you said, it's spreading like wildfire with uh, with your age group? Yeah, definitely. I've I've had I've listened like a few of the podcasts I listened to have talked about. It's been it's definitely big on social media, which I think speaks to more to the Netflix. Whenever something really drops on Netflix, it has a moment in yeah. the sun, like yeah. the Aaron Hernandez documentary, like this one, which I think is kind of a bad thing because I mean this guy. It's been noted that he has internet in prison, and he's basically getting exactly what he wants. He's getting all the notoriety about how he's some sort of super genius and all this sort of he's an evil genius. He's getting all that, which I think is kind of bad. It's not what you want to do to somebody like that. I will say this at the end, without giving away anything, at the end they do tie it all together pretty well on on his mindset and how how he was thinking, right? Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I still have about 30 minutes left. Oh, so. okay, so check out the ending. But anyway, yeah. my rating, again, 2.9 on the three-point scale. It was, uh, it was, it was, you couldn't stop watching it. So was this yeah. a, you know, the Hernandez one was three-hour-long episodes. What is this one? Same thing. Oh, yeah, okay. Just, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you ever saw Making of a Murder, either one of you guys. I think it was produced, no. it was produced by the same people, and that was, that was one of the first real big docu-series that made a big splash on Netflix. That really was, that kind of just propelled Netflix, if you will, to, to, to much watch, must-watch TV. That was just a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. And what, has, hasn't there been a lot of stuff that's come out, like, that a lot of stuff in that wasn't true? Well, what what happened was this this sicko in Wisconsin, he, you know, he killed this girl, but he, he dragged his mentally challenged nephew into it. And and that's really been the big story lately. You know, this this poor guy, he had no clue what he was doing, but he was dragged into it, and he's he's spending life in prison himself. Okay. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> See, I don't like watching this sort of stuff. It's so depressing. I wouldn't say it's scary. It's just depressing. Yeah. You feel kind of gross watching it. Well, you do, and it also, but at least it opens your eyes up. You know, you you, you can't live in a sheltered world. There are a lot of sickos out there. Even the even the guy that got killed. You know, I mean, some of this seedy underworld stuff that goes on that we don't know about, and hopefully never will. It's just it just goes to show you you gotta you always gotta have your head on a swivel, right? I don't know. I the, I've got to view it a different way. The way okay. I look at it, and. and we, I think we would talk about it on this podcast where I was basically robbed of twenty five dollars by a guy of, of, of last year. Yeah, I don't view it as like, oh, you can't trust people anymore. You got to keep your head on a swivel. I just view it as, oh, if you're going to do something along those lines, I was, obviously I don't want to end up dead. Well, that's right? the whole point. You but know, it's like I'm not going to change how I kind of go around interacting with people. Well, you, 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 can't, you can't imagine everyone's like a serial killer. No, but you got you got to know your place. I mean, if you're in a bad part of town and it's one o'clock in the morning, aren't you aren't you aren't you behaving a little different than if you are in downtown Corona? I mean, come on. Yeah, I think you you need to just be like aware of your surroundings type of thing. Like I always, you know, my wife talks about like when she goes out in public or if she's just with our daughter grocery shopping or something. Sure. You know, and I, I just say like you know just be aware when you're out in the parking lot what's around. You know, if you see seems like someone's following you, then you know go do something, alert someone, or you know tell a worker. You know, like I think you just need to be like aware of your surroundings because yeah, it is crazy. Just because I didn't watch the cat one, but back to the Hernandez, you know, like some of the stuff that he was doing, 
you know, people had no idea, like in the Bristol community or like when he committed some of those murders and then played a full football season and won a Super Bowl right. after murdering some people. You know, like, and Robert Kraft talked about it in the documentary, like, had no idea because, and that's what people said about him, super nice guy, friendly guy, you know, funny and everything like that. And and Kraft and Belichick all said the same thing in the, in the Patriots organization, like just – you know, good football player, good guy, all that kind of stuff. That's why they signed him to that huge contract. They wouldn't have done that if they suspected him of being a murderer. <laughs> oh, no kidding. I mean, it was a whole different world when he played football and when he was out in uh, with his friends and whatnot, you know. Yeah. It was just it was quite a story. So, anyway, that's our entertainment for this week. Boy, a couple, couple of Netflix classics. Definitely check them out. <laughs> well, put it this way: when you watch them and you would recommend them to your friends, you know, may not be a classic, but uh, you know, worth watching. Yeah. Worth watching. Yep. Let's just put it that way. All right, we got some Jack. Stuff that makes you think. We'll yeah, say that. Too. There you go. Well, we got Jack Strap coming up next. Before we get to Jack, just I uh, want to tell you if you're looking for some fun, stop into Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Weekends are really hot. You can cheer on the Spartans, Wolverines, Red Wings, and Pistons, over 20 high-def TVs, awesome food and drink, and, you know, Super Bowl's coming up. What a great spot. Go watch the Super Bowl there and everything that goes with it. You can start early on in the day and stay there all night long. Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona. And also, everybody likes a great deal, right? Well, go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on their upcoming auctions. Auction House is packed with all kinds of great items. And, uh, you know, they have all kinds of good stuff going on. Check their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Sign up for their email notifications or call Troy Crow at 989-720-SELL for other details. All right, guys, next up, let's see what's going on with uh, our good friend. We haven't heard from him in a while. Our oldest athletic supporter, Jack Strap. Matt, Fred, Jerry, how you guys doing? Hey, it's been a while, so I'm going to jump right in with my hot takes. First of all, congratulations to LSU coach Ed Ogeron and Heisman-winning quarterback Joe Burrow. Burrow's story of perseverance is what college athletics is all about. Trevor Lawrence did not have his best game, but the LSU defense had something to do with it. Trevor needs to continue improving himself, fellas, and I'd start with a good old-fashioned barber shop. How can a guy play so tough yet look like such a sissy with that blonde hair hanging out from his helmet? But we all know I'm from another generation. Anyway, looks like my son Jake's old friend, who used to have a blonde mullet as he drove around Chi-Town in his rusty Dodge Ram pickup truck with a huge Confederate flag strapped to his tailgate yelling out the window like a lunatic on hot summer days. Woo-hoo! Burrow has the good looks and charm Madison Avenue will love. And I think he also has a talent that the Bengals will love as well. Can you imagine Lions coach Patricia, by the way, with his hat on backwards, coaching Trevor Lawrence with that long hair? That's a funny vision. Well, the Lions might get a chance if they have another lousy year like they did this year. On to the Chiefs and 49ers, which looks to be one hell of a Super Bowl, fellas. And I'll go on record to say that the 49ers defense will be the difference in the game. The 49ers are explosive on both sides of the ball. And, uh, by the way, am I the only one that thinks Coach Shanahan looks like he's 18 and still rides a skateboard? Well, that looks like Daddy taught him well, though, as far as the X's and O's goes. Anyway, now to my hottest take, the Houston Astro Cheaters. 
First of all, we have cheaters all around us, so am I shocked? Well, hell no. People cheat on their taxes, their spouses. I even cheated on my New Year's diet resolution over this past weekend by telling my wife Jackie I had a quick errand to run, but while I was out, I ate a large bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, crispy chicken, and I washed it down with some mashed potatoes. Mmm, finger-licking good, Colonel. The surprising fact about the Astros was that it appears to be institutional in nature, meaning that this was not simply individual players looking for an edge. Bowie Kewen threw the hammer down, and I applaud him for that, as far as the players such as Altuve allegedly using technology along with a buzzer attached under his shirt. Very clever, Altuve. Cheating at this level has high risk and high rewards. Just ask Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa. Think about how much money a Major League Baseball player generates, especially if they're stars, and you can increase uh, your average and reputation by increasing your batting average by 50 points. Hello, payday! Professional hitters today, guys, they're studs, especially if they know what pitch is coming. I think the players should be punished as well. Maybe Altuve should play this year with an electronic buzzer mechanism attached to his testicles, and one lucky fan from each opposing ballpark will be allowed to buzz his balls one time each inning when he least expects it, and we will not punish the fan as he gets real drunk during the course of that game and <laughs> accidentally engages that buzzer multiple times during the seventh inning stretch. <laughs> My solution or proposal to help the pitchers and catchers, guys, come on. You count on me to be the brain in this here group. They should reverse the technology to prevent future violations. If a football coach can communicate via Bluetooth technology to a quarterback with a microphone in his helmet, why can't the pitcher-catcher reverse the current tradition of the catcher flashing signs to his battery mate? My idea has the pitcher communicating to the catcher by holding his glove over his mouth while suggesting one, two, or three for fastball, curve, changeup, etc. The catcher confirms with a head nod, and stealing signs are history. No more fears of the center field camera. Speaking of camera, Jackie's yelling at me to get off the phone because her annoying sister Martha is over here and wants to take our photo. This Friday, we celebrate our 64th wedding anniversary. Uh, some days, guys, I feel like she has a buzzer on my balls. Thanks for about 25 years. Oh, I still love her. Hey, guys, got to go. All right, you know, I, I agree with uh, Jack's assessment on everything there, especially the Astros. We're going to get into the Astros, but before, before we do, I want to I tell you about a story here locally. It was, it was on uh, the ABC World News last night. Think about this, guys. This is a good Samaritan to the nth degree. I don't know if you caught the story. An Ovid man, Ovid, Michigan, found more than $43,000 in a second-hand store couch here and, uh, you know, he, he, he gets into it, found the bundles of cash. And what did the guy do? He went back to the store, the Habitat for Humanity Restore. He uh, found out who that furniture belonged to. It happened to be the Newberry family of Owasso. And he gave back 43000 bucks. And the story is, you know, when I first heard about that, I thought, what? $43,000? 
But it was, you know, it was this family's old grandpa, you know, 90 years old, a depression guy, probably didn't trust the banks a lot. Had Who knows? There's a lot of old timers out there that stash money in, in uh, coffee cans and buries it, you know. Well, this guy stuffed his cash in this uh, cushion and... The family didn't know anything about it after he died, and so they sold his furniture. And this dude found $43,000. And I would hope, I would really hope that everybody listening and us three would do the same thing because that's the right thing to do instead of you know just pocketing that cash and say, hey, finders keepers. It'd be tough. I mean, you would definitely go back and forth, right? Yeah. You know, maybe maybe your first thought would be, all right, we got to figure out whose money this actually is, do the right thing. But then, you know, you would start thinking, like, man, what what could I pay off or what could I buy? Oh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> It'd be tough to do that. But, yeah, I mean, it, the right thing to do is to find out who who's the rightful owner of $43,000. Now, what is the reward? If you're the family that gets forty three grand just out of the blue, what would be a fair reward? Is it a thousand bucks? Is it five thousand bucks? What? Yeah, I'd say I'd. I don't. I mean, I'd say five thousand. I. But but now we're making them give away money that they it's theirs. Well, I'm not. Know? Yeah, but don't you? Wouldn't you, if you're the family getting the money, wouldn't you have a clearer conscience if you said, "Hey, this dude, he is righteous. He's going to heaven. <laughs> you got to give him some money, don't you?" Any, any but any sort of money you give him, I feel like people are in. Maybe even yourself, you're going to be like, well, that's not enough. I mean, you that's would have true. never had it if this guy hadn't given it to you. The first thing I would think of if I opened up this mattress with that, it's drug money. <laughs> that this was clearly, somebody forgot that they, that was in here. This is some sort of drug dealer of some sort, and that's how this cash ended up here. Yeah. Well, if you looked at the couch set, it definitely looked like an old man set. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> But I thought that was just a fantastic story, you know. Here, right here, local, forty-three grand found in a couch, unbelievable. But I, you know, Strap was talking about the Astros. We'll wrap up this podcast, getting into the big story in baseball. I know, Jared, you're not a huge baseball fan, but man, what were your thoughts on this story? And you know, you know, videotaping, banging on uh, trash cans to give the batter the signal, and then even possibly wearing buzzers. Yeah. It- if this news broke that potentially Justin Verlander was involved in a cheating scandal when I was like eight years old, I would have been so devastated. I would have cried myself to sleep that night without a doubt. But my main thing was at first, and I've kind of wavered on this subject. At first, I like didn't think it was a big deal, you know, banging on trash cans, watching the signs. I almost thought that it was more on the pitcher and the catcher to, to switch up their signs every inning or so, so that something like that doesn't happen. I kind of always thought that was what they did. Because it seems so obvious that you could kind of rip them. Well, they did when a runner was on second base. They never thought somebody was videoing it from center field and passing it on. That's the difference. And that's kind of like more as I got more educated on the subject. It's like, man, this is basically like hacking into a defensive coordinator's headset like in a football game or something like that. But the thing that I have a problem with, how do you, if the buzzer thing is true, I think you have to take away the World Series. I mean, you just have to. Pete Rose gets banned for life for betting on himself in games, but this these these sort of things, which basically cost a couple different teams a World Series title, earns a year suspension, and the players have no sort of consequence. I mean, Jose Altuve, his his 
agent coming out and saying that the reason he didn't want his shirt ripped off is because he's shy. I mean, what a joke. That's the you biggest bunch of bullshit I ever heard. <laughs> I know. And, that, and, and the fact that there's so many different MLB players that are coming out against uh, the Astros and basically confirming what we've all kind of rumored, like Alex Wood and Chris Archer and such, is basically confirming that this is true. And, and, it, and because it's true, I do think that there needs to be more of a punishment for the players and not just for the managers and for the GM. Wow, for our non-resident baseball guy, I, I agree 100% with what you said, Jared. That's good stuff, and I think they should vacate that World Series. I, I really do. I think there should be 2017, no World Series champion. Bat- yeah, Matt, this this is where I go with that. I yeah. mean, like it's kind of like the Heisman trophies and, and some of the other stuff. Like, okay, vacate it, but what really does that do? Everyone knows the Astros won that World Series. Everyone knows Reggie Bush won that Heisman Trophy. Like, I know in the record books it's not there. You know, like the Fab Five, in the record books they didn't make those Final Fours, but everyone knows they did. And my biggest thing with, with you know, people getting on their high horse with, with baseball and this cheating, maybe the Astros are, if the buzzers are true, the trash cans, whatever, they're taking the cheating to, like, a different level. But cheating has been happening in baseball since baseball was created i mean pine tar and pitchers like putting stuff on the baseball and you know to get a couple inches of more drop on their curveball and and all that it corked bats and stealing signs from second base when you can see what the catcher is calling i mean i feel like literally if there's a sport maybe other than nascar that like cheating has always been happening it's baseball so it's just funny to me to see, like, even, like, juiced balls and stuff like that that people have been talking about the last few years. Steroids, obviously, is the big one. So I, I guess my biggest thing is, like, so if you're going to take this, this championship away from the Astros, how do you know that there's not a bunch of other World Series in the past or the history of baseball that some of this stuff wasn't going on? I mean, Kenny Rogers, when he was pitching for the Tigers, he was putting, like, Vaseline on the ball. He was keeping Vaseline on his hat and putting it on the ball. And, you know, there's stuff like that. Stuff like this has always been happening in baseball. Maybe the buzzer, some of this technology is taking it taking it to an extreme, but it's like how far do you want to go with this? Well, that's true, but I will say this. I mean, number one, they got caught, okay? I mean, it's, it's, it's pure and simple. It happened one way or the other. Whether the buzzer was involved or not, they cheated. I mean, their manager got canned, banned from baseball for a year, got fired. Their GM canned from baseball for a year. Fired. Uh, the Mets' new manager, fired. I mean, there's a lot of evidence here because the, the ball players now are squawking, man. They're talking. I agree with you about the one thing. When I first heard this, I thought the same thing, Matt. Baseball, they've cheated forever. I mean, hell, they steal bases. You know, it's part of the game. But, but this is a whole different level. I mean, this is this is. Let's put it this way. You know, we we all know about the steroid era, and we all know steroids definitely helped the performance of the players. But the thing is, they still had to hit the ball. They didn't necessarily know what pitch is coming. If I'm a major league caliber baseball player, what would I want to do? Be on steroids or know what pitch is coming? When you watch Altuve, Jack Chapman, to to win their series against the Yankees, just had a full-out power swing and nailed it. He knew for sure a fastball was coming, right? I mean, what would you rather? Would you rather know what pitch is coming as a baseball player, or be on steroids and maybe yeah. hit it? And I think that that was actually it was that was one of the things that um, uh, remind me who was the pitcher of the Yankees when uh, Altuve hit that home run. The whole Chapman, Eldonis yeah, Chapman. Chapman. That one of the things he said was he couldn't believe that Altuve knew a changeup was coming. 
Right. And, and that was basically why he was able to hit it. And here's the thing. It's time for baseball to maybe just call it a wrap. I mean, you talk about <laughs> how cheating has been, been around for so long. I mean, for being America's sport, it's not necessarily something we want to hold our hat, put our hat on. Is that basically how there's just been cheating up and down this whole entire Yeah, but this league. is this right. is a whole different level. And, and, and I, one more thing I will say, as for Matt, like when you said that, you know, obviously I do kind of agree with you in part that the, vac- the vacating of wins and trophies and stuff, it really doesn't mean much, but there's really not much else you can do. I don't know what else you can do other than maybe start banning these players for a year or something like that. But I do think it does affect like somebody like Reggie Bush, where he's not able to stand on that stage uh, at the Heisman ceremony every year and be a part of that fraternity. I do think that that does kind of affect you. Yeah, if that's something that that you want to do. But, like, everyone knows, even everyone in that fraternity knows that he won the Heisman Trophy. So, I mean, if he's not being recognized by the Heisman Trophy committee or whatever, you know, that you know there is that. But I, I guess, like, the buzzers and stuff like that is taking it to an extreme level. But, you know, the baseball is built on – cheating on stealing signs you know when the the manager the third base coach is giving the signs whether you're going to steal or whatever or when the catcher looks over the dugout and sometimes you know the pitching coach is giving all the signs for what the catcher is supposed to call to tell the pitcher to throw people try and steal that stuff all the time yeah but you can't say baseball is built on that yeah it happens but i mean is that a major part of the game I think it is a huge part of the game that people are always trying to get an advantage. Trying, Are they, you know, if a pitcher, if a, you know, people were saying for a long time that Justin Verlander was tipping his pitches. That's why he was struggling for a while. Or the catchers that can't hide their signs, so people are able to on second base, they can tip to the the guy at bat what pitch is coming. Or you know, all the signs when when a guy. You know, when it, when a pitcher pitches out because they know someone's going to steal, that's you could call that cheating. Like, you know, I guess I just wonder why people get up on their high horse. Okay, the buzzers are taking it to an extreme level. But when people get up on their high horse, they're like, take everything away. Put the Astros out. Take them down to AAA. Kick them out of the MLB. It's like the whole baseball league, Major League Baseball, is built on cheating. Well, I'm on my high horse. Maybe not extreme, but... <laughs> You know, I, I think the buzzers is really where it goes. It's, it, I think that's a whole another level. Yeah, I do. Think okay, that. so so the next time that a batter is able to steal a sign and knows a fastball is coming, yeah, I mean that that guy better be kicked out of the league, right? I don't have a problem. I, I don't have a problem with that. It's just it's, and I do like I said at the very top. I do think it's part of the catcher's and pitcher's job. I feel like that's something that I thought that was something they did already was that they would just switch up their signs every, you know, couple innings or so. Yeah. Because watching it, me as an idiot, as a kid watching it on TV, like, man, they're kind of just giving away what they're going to do, like, right before they do it. I always thought that. And I thought, and maybe the dumb kid that I am was as smart as these MLB players. Like, why wouldn't you expect them to be cheating and watching the national broadcast or however the heck they were recording these uh, signs and just expect that they were going to do that anyway? Well, they had their, first of all, they had their own camera. It wasn't the national broadcast. Like, notice, notice how in the NFL, how they're smart enough where they have the play call sheets over their mouth, where they have the dummy signalers. Like that right. just seems like it's so. It seems like something. It's almost on the opposite teams for not picking up on that fact in a way. Now, Matt, you're commissioner of baseball. All right, all right, and and I know you take a little different stance than I do here on the seriousness of this. But where, what would you do? I, no, I think suspending them. 
I think 50 games for the managers would have been fine. I mean, it, like you said, they got caught doing it. It's kind of like some of the stuff that the Patriots have done in the NFL. I guarantee there's a bunch of other teams doing similar things, and the Patriots have just gotten caught or whatever. Um, yeah, so you have to suspend the manager. You have to do some of that stuff to try and stop other teams from hooking all their players up with buzzers. You know, you you have to try and regulate that stuff a little bit. But I guess my point is, is like, if if you're gonna like set the line at these buzzers, especially with the technology nowadays, guys immediately after an at bat will go down in the tunnel and watch tape of their whole at bat so they can try and get an edge for their next at bat. So if they're able to see something that the pitcher does like one little thing before he throws a curveball or the pitcher does one little thing before he throws a fastball, they're able to see that through video evidence. Is that cheating too? No. I mean, I think we're getting off track just a little I, bit here. I guess that's my point. I mean, like, if a guy is on second base and he sees catcher throw down the old one and he's able to tip to the batter like, hey, here comes a fastball, is that cheating? That's baseball. Video is the whole different scenario here. I mean, it's it's yeah, we're talking about the buzzer. The crime is videoing it and relaying it to players in the dugout. That's the crime. Well, I guess I guess every football team cheats too with all their um, with all their scouting and everything. When they when they watch video of the offense, they're going to go up against to see tendencies and see what they do on offense. Using video, I mean, they're cheating. Oh, you're talking live video. You're talking live film during the actual game, before the well, batter. Like you see all the quarterbacks go right to the sidelines with those Microsoft Surface tablets and watch everything. It's after the play. It's after the, pl- it's after the play. That's the difference. Not during the play. I guess. It's completely cheating. I mean, it's the, it's the most blatant cheating I have ever heard in baseball, frankly. I mean, it's got to get, cl- it's gotta get cleared up. If you remember, we they, did. Remember when the Lions Rogers had putting Vaseline so. on the baseball so he can throw a better curveball? Yeah, they did it. And if they got caught, what happened? Nothing. Well, no, they got kicked out of the game, right? They got suspended. Rogers never got kicked out, and the Tigers are still seen as American League champs. Do we remember? <laughs> There's video evidence of him putting Vaseline on the ball that whole time. Yeah. If you remember, Ted, one time that it did happen during the game in the NFL was when the Jets basically knew all of the Lions' signals. Right, which we didn't. We didn't mock the jet. We didn't get mad at the Jets for that. It was. Oh, we should be. The Jets should be kicked out of the NFL. Vacate all of the Jets wins from that year. Now I forget what was the scenario. How did they know the signals? Because it's the Lions. (laughs) Yeah, it's because of Matt Patricia and the Lions. That's how. But it was. But the reason that it never happened again is because you just switch them up. It seems like it's an easy fix. Yeah. And it's kind of surprising. It seems like a lot of the MLB teams knew. That the Astros were kind of doing, they didn't know the buzzer thing, but they knew the garbage cans and stuff like that. Like, why does no one speak out about that? Which maybe makes me think that, and I know eight other teams have been named in this, that it's not just the Astros. Well, you kind of because I bet I bet other teams are doing similar stuff. Yeah, you might be onto something. I know there was talk about, uh, you know, the whistleblower. Was it Freer? Was, it, was that his name for Oakland? The one that spilled the beans. Uh, fires or fires that was it he was a former for the tigers actually for a little bit too yes he did uh i heard a couple people you know said he shouldn't have said anything there's an unwritten code you don't say anything i I don't know about that but to jared's point there's probably other teams other than the astros but they got caught and maybe it maybe it doesn't matter maybe it doesn't matter matt that if you took away the world series but i think they should vacate it that's that's just what i think yeah everybody knows they won it 
but also if they vacate it, everybody knows they also want it by cheating. Yeah, and maybe I mean that that's what you're trying to set a precedent that to try and stop other teams from doing this too. You, you have to, don't you? I mean, if you're if you're the commissioner of baseball, I mean it's it's a pretty slippery slope if you don't put an end to this right now, or or are people going to even continue to watch baseball? Jared talked about it at the beginning. You know, it's a, is it going to die? Because if you can't have at least some in, some integrity, you know, what are you going to do for gamblers? What are you going to do for people that bet on games and then it's not on the up and up? I mean, my God, my head's ready to explode right now just thinking about all the other things that could happen if you just allow blatant cheating. I, I yeah, guess. That, that's when that's when the cheating really. I mean, gambling. You know, gambling obviously has changed a lot. It's a little more acceptable now, or whatever. When when the cheating affects millions and millions of dollars in Vegas, that's when people really get upset. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. All right, boy, that's the most heated uh, baseball discussion I think we've ever had on this show. <laughs> no, I, like I said, just to, I, I'm with you. The the buzzers are over the top. I just I really think it's funny. I, baseball cheating has been happening since since Babe Ruth was hitting home runs. You know. Oh no, I and I agree with you on that. I mean, there there is a it, it's a fine line. What's a, what's allowable and what's not? I'll I'll say that for sure. Yeah. I say I say cameras in center field relaying the pitches to the batters as they're in the box probably should not happen. You know, if you want to steal signs, if you want to pass on signs, if you're on second base, or if the catcher isn't hiding it, continue on. That's been a part of baseball forever, but this is just a, a step past. And do you guys think, after watching that Altuve video coming around third base, do we all believe that there's some sort of shenanigans and a buzzer involved? 100%. I mean, I think so too. His agent's comment gave it away that he was shy, yet. You searched Jose Altuve shirt off, and there's a billion pictures on Google. Like, <laughs> right, he, he's cut. He's like he's cut up. Yep. I, I mean, he, there's he's not shy of having his shirt off. He's but happy to show it. Not like I'm me. I'm gonna say, I mean, someone who looks like he does, he's not shy to have his shirt off. But I mean, you have to try and give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, we don't know if there was a buzzer under there. It sure is weird how he didn't want a shirt ripped off. He ran right in the dugout, threw on his championship t-shirt, t-shirt yeah. over it. I mean, wait, he was the only guy that ran in, into the dugout to do it. it. It sure is strange. Yeah, that looked very shaky for sure. Yeah. Uh, One more thing, Ted. I know that you're not a big UFC guy, but I do want to get this on the table. Yeah. I messaged you on Saturday and basically offered you a proposition to split the cost of the pay-per-view fight of the Conor McGregor versus Cowboy Cerrone fight, and you turned it down but yet multiple times in the past i remember you buying mayweather fights which every time we would watch them i was so disappointed so i guess i don't understand what is the if where is the disconnect between mine and matt's generation and yours where you think boxing is actually even worth watching it's it's horrible boxing doesn't hold a candle to ufc fighting i'm gonna i'm gonna answer maybe before ted does and i'm gonna i'm gonna predict an answer just because i know ted you have said before that you are surprised that UFC is even legal. Yeah. That, that you know, it's almost like legalized cockfighting almost for right, humans. Right, And that, that boxing is like a science. It's an art. And it's, like, beautiful when two really good boxers are fighting. Is that is that about what you would say? Uh, sort of. I mean, I, I'm, let's put it this way. There's very few pay-per-view boxing matches I would pay for nowadays. You know, back when Tyson was fighting, a little different story, but that was a long time ago. Yes, Jared, you brought up uh, there was one fight we saw together, and that was that uh, Mayweather 
McGregor debacle. No, but... we also watched the Mayweather and Pacquiao. And oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Both right. of them were just so boring. Right. And, and that's the thing is boxing, every time I've watched a boxing pay-per-view, I, I leave wondering why the heck this was ever popular. Whenever I watch a UFC pay-per-view, it could be guys I've never heard of. I'm always like, that was awesome. 100, 100% worth the 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the first thing I'll say is I think maybe that's where maybe UFC has, like, skewed – the view of just like professional fighting because boxing for the most part has never been like as violent as UFC. You know, yeah, you had guys like Tyson who would just knock guys out, but for the most part, like there wasn't as much blood and as much fighting actually as you see in the UFC. So yeah, when, when big time UFC fans go back and watch a boxing match, they probably are going to be bored because a lot of times it is a lot of dancing around and feeling each other out and just throwing some jabs for a round or two. Mm-hmm. And then especially Mayweather. That Mayweather has been the same style of fighter his whole career. He, he doesn't really throw a lot of punches. He really weights guys out and, you know, it's like scientific. You know, it's like a, it's like a math game with him, with boxing. So, yeah, his fights aren't really ever that exciting. Yeah. And really, in no. the Pacquiao Mayweather thing was was a disappointing fight. I didn't think the uh, McGregor Mayweather was that bad. I mean, I was. It wasn't nearly as bad as Pacquiao Mayweather. Right. Remember how much hype that Mayweather? I mean, that was like ten years in the making. Yes. Before they finally did fight, and I remember I was probably about fifteen or fourteen years old. Right after that first round was over. You've never seen a more a kid more disappointed than I was. It, it was like a waking up on Christmas morning and no presents being under the tree. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way. Really, my pay-per-view boxing days are probably over. There's nobody out there that interests me. Uh, I would probably, for this UFC stuff, I would I would be interested in it if, if a bunch of guys were getting together. Now, i, I got to share this, guys. It, you can either cut it or, or you can play it. This is this is the exchange, the text exchange, the short exchange Jared and I had, okay? Around around oh, he threw me under the bus a little bit at the beginning of this little sequence. Around noon on Saturday, I get a text from my young nephew and he says, "Hey, do you have ESPN Plus?" And then I answered back, "No, why?" He says, "Damn, trying to find a way to watch McGregor fight tonight." Then he then he takes to this. "Any way you could take one for the team and buy it?" <laughs> Do your magic with a cable company on the phone like you always do. You always parade around saying how you're such a whiz. Oh, listen to you. Then I say, no, not sure what magic I have. What are the details? And this is the part that just cracks me up. He says, oh, it's $4.99 a month. I think I'm going to buy it and then cancel it at the end of the month. It's not. He wanted me to take one for the team? It wasn't four ninety nine. It was basically sixty five bucks. Okay. All right. Now, where did you watch? What you end up doing? You end up having to watch. What I had to do is watch it on Russian commentary. <laughs> uh, people, people would stream these things all over the place. How you end up watching them? Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so, so yeah, you wanted me to take one on the team for 60 bucks. I get it. Now, uh, what did you think about it? I mean, it was obviously well worth it, 40 seconds worth. I will say McGregor works the microphone better than anybody, but were you disappointed that old Cowboy went down that quick? It basically was – I think what the UFC did was they built up this Cowboy Cerrone, Cerrone character to be like, oh, he's actually like a worthy opponent of Conor McGregor. I mean, Conor McGregor went off at 3-1 to one odds. To lose and, and a lot of people in the mixed martial arts community are kind of saying like oh this guy's no scrub but man when he comes out and he loses in 40 seconds i mean how do you not think that yeah. i do wish i would have got a little bit more fighting but 
I mean, a Conor McGregor knockout. That's I got more action in that forty seconds and more excitement than I did in two whole boxing matches. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what he connected with like nineteen out of twenty. That's not bad. Yeah, he took him out with he broke his nose with his shoulder. Yeah, I, yeah, those shoulder hits were pretty impressive themselves. Now, do are either you guys do either you guys really subscribe to the UFC? Are you fans at all or, or no? I'm not really. I mean, I follow it on the peripheral, but uh, you know, it, not really. I, McGregor about he's about the only guy I know. I follow it pretty closely. I, I don't. I probably don't follow it as close as you do, Jared. Or definitely, I have some friends who are like diehards. They buy every fight and watch all of it. But I would say I'm kind of like down the middle. Um, I definitely enjoy it, mostly because you know there there are some characters and stuff like that, like McGregor and some other guys. But um, I'm, I'm not all in on every fight though. Mostly because sometimes that that's my thing. Is like. Why am I going to buy? And I know, like, these are on ESPN Plus, so I, I should be, like, telling yeah. the company line. But <laughs> the, the whole fight is going to be on Twitter a minute after. Yeah. So, you know, especially if the fight's only 40 seconds. Cool. The whole thing's going to be on Twitter for free. So, And that's kind of where I was coming from, too, Jared. I wasn't really all that enthused about it, to be honest with you whether it cost me 60 bucks or 4.99 if it was a whole bunch of guys getting together for a Saturday night and drinking some brewskis and having fun that's eh, a different story I might I might go along with that for a social evening but to just uh, sit on my couch and watch it at home not really that interested well here's the thing that I think you might and Matt obviously knows about this working at ESPN but the fact that they've started to put these prelims on ESPN, Every time they have these big fights, yeah, I don't care if you don't know who these people are. Just watching the spectacle, I think you must be surprised how entertaining it is to just sit there and watch it from eight to ten p.m. You know, one of these Friday nights. So basically, uh, you, you watch. From... Find, I think you might end up becoming a big fan. Well, maybe I'll check it out. I think does Joe Rogan do the commentary on the prelims too? Yes, and and that's another big takeaway I had from just watching every time I watch a UFC fight I'm just reminded of how much I just love Joe Rogan I mean he's a he's a perfect broadcaster for somebody like me yep. who's just a casual fan he makes it so easy to understand kind of like what the different fighting styles and what's going on and he's just funny I mean you can tell that he's a comedian that he's really comfortable with the microphone yeah uh, in front of his face yeah so he's a big another big draw for me I am a Rogan fan what's uh what's the word at ESPN Matt is it doing real well yeah, it is, and I mean the 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 app is all all we ever hear is that subscribers are just going up and up and up and up and up, and people love the UFC. We're starting to have like more actual shows on the UFC um, and stuff like that. So yeah, UFC is doing really well. Well, now explain it back to me real before we wrap up. I I, I just need to know this. If it's four ninety nine a month, why did you have to? So are these pay per views on top of the four ninety nine? Yes. So you have to be an ESPN Plus member. Ah. in order to get the pay-per-view. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. It's kind of like HBO in the day. You have HBO, but you still had pay-per-view events on HBO. So Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, that's what they're doing, like Jared said. It, I mean, they, they're not dummies, obviously. They're putting all the prelims on ESPN right. to kind of get you hooked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously they're hyping up the, the headlining fights the whole time. So then by the time, whatever, 10, 11 rolls around, you're like, all right, screw it. I'm going to drop the money for the pay-per-view. Sure. And other than McGregor, who who's another name out there that we should be watching out for? I mean, there's Khabib, and the big fight that's probably going to be the next McGregor fight is going to be him versus uh, Mazovdal. Okay. Who is just he's just a monster. I mean, and that one, if, characters that, if, like, if McGregor won. fights Mazovdal, that that would be one that worth buying. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, we may have to have a get together for that one. I'm, that that sounds all right. 
And really, if he rematches Khabib, too, because he's the dude that beat McGregor like a year and a half ago. Oh, yeah. Probably be worth it, too. But definitely the Masvidal. That would be... That'd be a hell of a fight. All right. Well, maybe I'll get turned over. You know, I, I still think it's one of those cockfighting sports, but, you know, br- boxing in its day was pretty brutal at times, too. So Because I, that's what I think it is. Like, you're the, my dad's the same way, where he'd buy a boxing match, even if it's completely boring like Mayweather right. in a second. But he's got that whole little, it's human cockfighting. I think it's more of a just, my, it's, I was cooler. Like when I was a kid, like we had boxing, we didn't have UFC. So I think it's more of that than it is. You don't enjoy it. No, no, I, I can't speak for your dad, but no, that's not the case. I, I, I really, I mean, when you watch it, I understand when you get together a bunch of guys and the testosterone is going and you're, you're, you get right into it. But when you look at the product, really, Matt, you don't have to comment being an ESPN guy, but Jared, when you look at the product, it, it is. It's. It, don't you think it's just completely brutal and how they how they can allow that as a human being? Is, look at it with a different set of eyes. The way I look at it is, I mean, we've all played football. It's kind of the same sort of thing. Would you? Let's say that we all have some sort of CTE in our brains. Would you, knowing that, would you say, "Oh, I, I wish I didn't play football"? That's the way. I don't. I don't view it that way. Oh, if a few light years are taken off the end of my life, or you know, something develops later down the road because of the time I played football, I don't regret that. And when you have somebody like McGregor making millions and fifty million dollars for forty seconds, I mean, is it really? Are they being exploited that much? Yeah, I'm, it's not so much exploited. I guess it's just the, the the brutality of it. Of it is, it is tough to watch at times. I mean, face it, in football. You're tackling people. They're trying to get downfield, but you're not just completely pummeling their head, right? I mean, it happens. They get their head hit, but it's not nonstop just headshots after headshots. I don't know. It's, I think that's going to – have you honestly ever sat down and watched a UFC fight? There's yeah, there's. I know there's grappling, but, you know, when I've seen enough of it where you got a guy down on the mat and you're getting an elbow to the head constantly and all that stuff. It's the headshots that bother me more than anything. I think the the blood in the UFC makes it seem like just way more. I mean, it is obviously very violent, but the blood being all over the blood's like all over the mat, right? You know, throughout the night, the blood's all over people's faces. I think that's what makes people think it's more maybe than it is because what what is some of the most exciting parts of football that people love and keeps people coming back? The big hits. Oh, I have to admit that. There's no doubt. You're right. Yeah. I mean, just think, think about like the hits. hockey too. Like when people get in fights in hockey, people love it. Yeah, uh, fair point. I just, I guess MMCs or MMA, <laughs> MMA rather. <laughs> I'm thinking of high school basketball. But by the way, we got a high school game this week. Corona at Owasso, so tune in for that. But other than that, maybe Jared, maybe I will watch the next big fight. Just don't try to get me to pay for all of it. Yeah, that's kind of a low. That's a, a low way to go about it. That's a nephew thing right there, Matt. Well, then all I, could I almost said, why don't you get your dad to pay for it? Well, that's the thing. If I was home, I guarantee I would have been able to get my dad to pay for it. But being up here at college, you don't have the same sort of. So that even that so even easy. makes it worse. What did you think I was going to do? Drive up there and hook it up to your TV or what? No, you buy it and then I get your login. Oh. <laughs> Okay, now I get it. I get it. It was a joke. Clearly, I didn't expect. I didn't expect oh, you see that, Matt? It was a joke. Yeah, oh, it was a joke. But it if you would have said yes, <laughs> remember your old comment about being a good Samaritan? How the guy found forty-three thousand dollars? Yeah. in his couch and returned it. I mean, it's sixty dollars. Now, just maybe now, be if, a good guy. if you would have asked me, let's say it was a joke. If you would have asked me, "Hey, Uncle Ted, do you think you can help me out?" 
I might have done it then. I didn't know what you were up to. All right, let's leave it there. That's enough. That'll do it. Hey, everybody, make sure you subscribe, rate us on all the big podcasting sites, including Apple Podcast and SoundCloud. It's absolutely free, and it'll really help us continue to grow. Send your comments for topics or guest suggestions. Hit us up on social media at 3PointPod. Support our 3Point Podcast partners. Tell them you listen in. Advanced Elevator, Sheridan Realty and Auction Company, Rivals Tap House and Grill, The Corona Connection, Card Service Michiana, and The Corona Public Schools, along with Promac Engineering. Also, be sure to check out our network friends at Sports Radio Detroit. And remember, this has been a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the Z92.5 Studios in Owasso, Michigan. Thanks again for listening to and supporting Three Point Podcasts.